2 Corinthians chapter 9. In 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, Paul is instructing the Corinthian saints on the topic of giving to, to a collection being taken up to meet the needs of the saints in the Jerusalem church. He writes a number of thoughts in chapters 8 and 9 that are intended to encourage grace-inspired generosity and to provide helpful perspective that would shape the Corinthians' contribution to the collection. Before we dive into the passage, please join me in prayer. Lord, I thank you for this amazing opportunity to preach your word this morning. I thank you for the men who fill this pulpit from week to week. Thank you, Lord, for the grace that you show to all of us through them. We are fed so well here at Cornerstone. Lord, I pray that you would be with me this morning, this morning's speaker, that you would bless me. I pray also, Lord, that you would bless our congregation and all who will hear this message. I need your help, Lord. We need your help to hear from your word. And it's in Jesus' matchless name we pray. Amen. Let's begin our study by reading the text for this morning's message, 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 through 15. I'll be reading from the New American Standard uh, Bible, 2 Corinthians 9, starting in verse 6. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. As it is written, he scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, His righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. Because of the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for, all the, liber- or for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all. While they also by prayer on your behalf, yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Let me share briefly the history of the relationship between Paul and the Corinthians. Paul and his missionary teammates had planted the church at Corinth during Paul's second missionary journey around the year AD 51. Then, During Paul's third missionary journey around AD 56, he revisited the churches who were planted during his first two missionary journeys. During this third journey, he spearheads a collection from among the churches to assist the saints in Jerusalem 
who were suffering from a great famine. As you can see on the map, Paul intended that this journey end in Jerusalem. When you read 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, you pick up the sense that the Corinthians were initially excited about giving generously to help the Jerusalem saints. Their excitement had been shown a year prior to the writing of 2 Corinthians through their zeal, as we see in 2 Corinthians 9.2, and when they had previously promised a bountiful gift in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 5. The Corinthians' excitement was such that it inspired the nearby Macedonian believers to participate in the collection, even though they were financially poor themselves. However, at some point, Paul became concerned that the Corinthians' initial resolve had faded, perhaps because of issues they had with the apostle himself. Consequently, they had fallen behind in doing the very thing that it, they had initially had such a readiness to do, as chapter 8, verse 11 tells us. And perhaps this contribution even began to be affected by covetousness, as chapter 9, verse 5 says. Paul is convinced that the Corinthians' initial resolve was of the Holy Spirit. So he provides several encouragements designed to shore up their motivation to give what they had initially purposed to give. But let's think about this for a moment. Having second thoughts about an earlier decision is something that happens to all of us, right? We feel moved by the Spirit to give generously to address a need, but then we start having second thoughts. We start thinking of all the reasons we can't afford to give. We think of existing needs in our own lives. And we also think of circumstances that may come up in which we might need the money which we plan to give. Sometimes it is simply the passing of time which serves to push our good intentions down the priority list. You know how it is. It is, isn't it a blessing when God sends someone to us or allows something to happen in our lives to remind us to set aside our second thoughts and our doubts and follow through on our intentions? Well, that's exactly how God uses Paul in our passage today. Beginning in verse 6 of chapter 9, we will discover six truths that Paul offers the Corinthians. Truths which are designed to encourage and inspire the Corinthians and us to give generously to meet the needs of the saints in Jerusalem or to others. Six truths Paul gives to inspire the Corinthians and us to give generously to meet the needs of others. Number one, giving is sowing and we reap what we sow. Giving is sowing and we reap what we sow. Verse 6 is the beginning of Paul's concluding remarks about giving to the collection. He begins by using a proverb for, from farming or gardening, that of sowing seed and reaping a harvest. Verse 6 says, Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. As you all know, sowing is spreading seed or planting. Reaping is gathering the crop sometime later. So what's going on here? 
is this the Apostle Paul giving tips on lawns and gardens? I doubt not. In all seriousness, he is using a saying from agriculture, a proverb, if you will, to give an encouraging reminder to the Corinthians about giving to meet the needs of others. I want to give you a scenario which I think depicts what Paul is saying to the Corinthians. Imagine you're going past two wheat farms and you see two farmers planting or sowing seed in their fields by hand. Let's call them sowers. They each have a seed bag roughly the same size filled with seeds. You notice that the fields they are sowing are roughly the same size too. One sower is throwing big handfuls of seed onto his field and completely empties his seed bag, while the other one is throwing smaller handfuls and has quite a bit of seed left in his bag when he finishes sowing. If you were to go by again in a few months, you would expect that the sower who sowed more seed would have a bigger crop growing, especially compared to the sower who sowed less seed. And if you went by at harvest time, you would expect a bigger harvest for the sower who sowed more seed. And when you did see the bigger harvest, you might think, man, if the second sower had sowed more seed, he would have had a big harvest like the first sower. Well, hopefully that picture makes sense. Please hold on to it for later. Back in our verse, verse 6, the word bountifully or generously in most of our Bibles is a translation of the Greek phrase which literally means upon blessing. So the second part of the proverb could be paraphrased. He who sows heaps of blessing upon blessing will reap heaps of blessing upon blessing. Whatever you do with this expression, the main point of the proverb is clear. If you sow a small amount of seed, you will gather a small harvest. If you sow a lot of seed, you will gather a big harvest. In other words, you reap what you sow in the measure that you sow. And what Paul is saying to the Corinthians is, the same, is, is that the same principle which applies to sowing and reaping and farming applies to giving to meet the needs of others. Giving is sowing, and you reap what you sow. So please also keep that in mind as we continue our study. In farming, one can only sow seed that he has in his possession. When it comes to giving, one can only give to others what they have received from God in the first place. I think part of what Paul is trying to say or to tell the Corinthians through this proverb is that God has provided them sufficient resources or seed to bless others with. The Proverbs, he, he states, also serves to direct their attention to God's role in providing resources to share and in blessing those who share. God alone is the one who causes the seed to grow and the crop to be produced and more seed to come from the harvest and so on. Now, what makes the difference in the sowers? Or why did the first sower sow more generously than the second? Well, we'll try to answer that moving forward. So truth number one is that giving is sowing and you reap what you sow. 
Paul has more to say to the Corinthians and to us to encourage generosity, which leads us to a second truth. Number two, God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. In chapter 9, verse 7, Paul writes, Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart. Paul's intent in writing about the collection is to remind the Corinthians of their promise and to encourage them to be generous. His intent is not to exact funds or to impose some form of a tax. His concern is for the hearts of the Corinthians. I want you to notice the contrasting heart attitudes in verse 7. Paul writes, not grudgingly or under compulsion. The negative attitudes are a begrudging heart, someone who is thinking, I'll put this in the offering now, but I know I'm going to regret it later. Then there is the one who gives under compulsion or out of necessity. The idea is being that the motivation is external, like someone demanding your resources under threat or persuasion, or perhaps the giver is thinking, well, everyone else is giving, so I guess I should too. Both of these indicate a heart that is misguided about giving. But in contrast, the Greek word translated cheerful is the word from which we get our English word hilarious or hilarity. So a cheerful giver is someone who gives joyfully. They are happy about giving to the Lord or to his people. All in all, Paul is saying to the Corinthians, follow through on what you desired. That's written in chapter 8, verses 10 and 11, and promised, chapter 9, verse 5. Follow through on what you desired and promised to do a year ago. And as you do so, know this about God. He loves a cheerful giver. Keep in mind that when it comes to the heart, one can give a small amount and be generous and cheerful, and another can give a large amount and be a miser. When it comes to, when, with God, it's the heart, not the amount, which matters. As I mentioned earlier, Paul was convinced that the Holy Spirit had been motivating and moving the Corinthians when this ministry opportunity presented itself a year earlier. They were genuinely excited and received his instructions to set aside and save on each Lord's Day with joy and the best of intentions. Paul wants them to help them return to that joyful, purposeful, and generous state of heart and mind they had a year earlier. So truth number two is that God loves a cheerful giver. Well, Paul will continue to point the Corinthians and us toward God. So he has some promises to share with them, which leads us to the third truth. Number three, God is able to make all grace abound to us so that we may abound in giving. God is able to make all grace abound to us so that we might abound in giving. So after reminding the Corinthians of one of God's characteristics, that he loves a cheerful giver, 
Paul continues his encouragements by reminding the Corinthians of another characteristic, God's generous nature. He begins to draw their attention to God's resources and abilities as he writes in verse 8, and God is able to make all grace abound to you. Notice these words. Let's start, stop and linger over them. And God is able. And God is able. Don't you love that? Aren't there times that all of us need to be reminded of this fact? Isn't being reminded of this helpful when it comes to managing our resources, especially as it pertains to giving? There are times that I know I get focused on managing the resources and I do it as if it all depends upon me. I do it as if what I have at a particular time is all there will ever be. Well, that helps to tighten my grip. And Paul wants to loosen our grip. We all need to be reminded that God is able, that he is all-powerful, and that his resources are unlimited, and that all things are possible with him. And amazingly, what does God choose to do with his unlimited ability? Continuing in verse 8, Paul says, God is able to make all grace abound to you. God is able to make all grace abound to you. Grace God's undeserved or ill-deserved favor is a major theme in these two chapters. A form of the Greek word for grace is mentioned 10 times in chapters 8 and 9. Make no mistake, God's greatest outpouring of grace is in the person and redemptive work of Jesus Christ. But God has more grace or favor to dispense. Paul wants the Corinthians to be confident that one of the ways he is able to dispense his grace is by supplying abundant seed for generous giving. As John Piper calls it, future grace. Looking at verse 8 again, there's a specific purpose for this abounding grace. And that is so that the Corinthians would have an abundance of seed to sow for good works and sufficiency or the contentment to sow generously. Verse 8 continues, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. I love how Paul intensifies his point by using always, all, and in everything, and abundance. This is much more powerful stated this way. The Greek word translated sufficiency here is translated contentment in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. So, abounding grace from God can give us abounding contentment to generously give to meet the needs of others. Paul then backs up this point with Old Testament scripture as if to say, this truth is not new with God. Helping the poor has been close to God's heart for centuries. In verse 9, he quotes from Psalm 112. He writes, As it is written, he scattered abroad, 
he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. In the context of Psalm 112, the psalmist is describing the blessed man, the man who fears the Lord. If you read Psalm 112, you will see that the blessed man is also described as one who is gracious and compassionate and righteous. And in this verse from Psalm 112 that Paul's quoting here, we learn that his righteousness is displayed in giving to the poor. I love Paul's example here. As a pastor to the Corinthians, he goes to the word of God to reinforce the inspiring truths he is sharing to encourage generous giving to meet the needs of others. Well, there are a number of Old Testament passages which demonstrate God's concern for the poor and blessing upon those who are generous to them. Let's take a look at a couple of them. Deuteronomy 15, verses 7 and 8. God says, If there is a poor man with you, one of your brothers in any of your towns in your land which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not, burden, you should, you should not harden your heart nor close your hand from your poor brother. But you shall freely open your hand to him and give generously and shall generously lend him sufficient for his need in whatever he lacks. Proverbs 14.31 He who oppresses the poor taunts his maker. But he who is gracious to the needy honors him. Proverbs 19.17 One who is gracious to a poor man lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his good deed. Well, now coming back to our text for today, truth number three is that God is able to give us grace to abound in giving so that we might express his heart in doing good and giving to meet the needs of others. But it gets even better than this. As Paul gives us the fourth truth designed to motivate us to give to meet the needs of others. So truth number four, God will give us grace to abound in giving. God will give us grace to abound in giving. Before I read Paul's loose quotation from Isaiah 55, verse 10, which is included in verse 10 of 2 Corinthians 9, take a moment to remember the word, wording of verse 8. In fact, help me by filling in the blank. Verse 8 says, God is, God is to make all grace abound to you. You got it right. Now, follow me, follow with me as I read verse 10. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. So, verse 8 tells us that God is able to do something. And in verse 9, Paul tells us that what that is what God is able to do he actually will do. Let me say that again. Verse 8 tells us that God is able to do something. Verse 9 tells us that what God is able to do, he actually will do. Although this could be translated as a type of prayer or wish, 
Paul is, making, Paul is making on behalf of the Corinthians a prayer or a wish. Most commentators translate it as a promise. Paul is saying, Corinthian saints, God, the one who from ages past has been supplying seed to the sower and bread for food, will supply your seed. God will multiply your seed for sowing or giving to meet the needs of the poor. God will increase the harvest of your righteousness, a righteousness we learned earlier which endures forever. Not only is God able to make all such grace abound to us, but see how he actually will do it. Now back in verse 11, Paul continues to apply promises directly to the Corinthians. He writes, you will be enriched. God will cause you to be enriched or grace to be made to abound. In our culture today, we're bombarded with messages about strategies to build wealth, but there are none, at least none that you can trust, which will promise the kind of return on investment that Paul makes here. Continuing in verse 11, Paul says, you will be enriched in everything for all liberality. I want you to notice the purpose which is attached to this promise. The promise in this verse has been misused by some as a way to earn prosperity for yourself from God. We're all familiar with that gospel. But Paul attaches the object for which God will enrich us as being for all liberality or to be generous in meeting the needs of others. You could summarize verse 10 and the first part of 11 this way. God intends for his people to take care of each other and will provide abundantly in order for them to do so. Through God's gracious generosity, we can and should take care of our own. Now, let's go back to the two sowers that I described to you at the beginning of the message. Let's think about the reasons that one might have sowed bountifully and the other one sowed sparingly. One possible reason the second sowed sparingly was doubt about the harvest. He may have thought, once the seed is thrown onto the ground, there's nothing else I can use it for. And who can guarantee that the harvest will be good? But our first sower had confidence that the more seed he sowed in the ground, the greater the harvest. The same is true when it comes to giving. The selfish person who refuses to give to help others is afraid of losing what he has. But in the end, he, his loss is even greater. But the generous person has a confidence that God will bring him a great harvest in return, a harvest from which he can bless even more people. I don't know about you, but I need promises like this. I need promises like this to encourage generosity in me. Perhaps the Corinthians did too. Allow me to share a little bit of my story. My father passed away when I was nine years old. 
From that point on, by God's grace, we always had what we needed, but we didn't have a lot of extra money. My precious mom, who's here this morning, worked diligently to provide, sometimes two jobs. And yet, there were a number of times when things were really tight. And we would run out of money before we ran out of month, as the saying goes. As a young teen, I remember dreaming of being wealthy, at least wealthy enough to have more of the things that I wanted. A few years later, my baseball career began to blossom. I chose to study business in college so that I would know how to hold on to the wealth that I hoped to earn through baseball. Then God did bless us with wealth through baseball. The challenge to hold on to it became a reality. I share that part of my story to say that learning to be a cheerful and generous giver has been a journey for me. I grew up with 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Malachi 3 and 10. We quoted it every Sunday at church. So knowing about giving has always been a part of my life as long as I can remember. But learning here at Cornerstone through our emphasis on the gospel, that giving is a response to grace has been life-changing for me. I chose to study this passage to preach this morning because I want to go deeper into the experience of God's grace. And I want you to come along on the journey. Well, the fourth truth is that God will give us grace to abound in giving. And there are a couple more truths in which Paul shares, and that leads us to the fifth truth. God will produce a harvest through our generosity. God will produce a harvest through our generosity. In sports, especially in the game of baseball, we all know too well that you need to be careful about celebrating the victory before the game is over or the clock runs out. There are too many times when it appears the game is in the bag, but then something happens and the team ahead in, in the score ends up losing the game. But in our passage this morning, Paul anticipates and begins to celebrate the blessed response of the saints in Jerusalem when the collection will be presented to them. Beginning in the second part of verse 11 and continuing through verse 14, Paul shares the produce, if you will, or harvest from the seed the Corinthians will sow through generous giving. What I'd like to do is bundle this produce together as we survey verses 11 through 14. One of the produce is thanksgiving to God. He says in verse 11, the second part, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. In verse 12, second part, he says it's also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. No doubt, the saints in Jerusalem were praying to God for help. This collection would be an answer to their prayers. 
which would surely lead to prayers of thanksgiving. Well, another one of our produce or our harvest. In verse 12, Paul writes, the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints. I'm going to go on and finish that thought, but think about that. Fully supplying the needs of the saints. Imagine the Jerusalem saints seeing Paul and his traveling companions come into Jerusalem carrying this abundant offering that will fully meet their needs. Well, another one of the harvest is glory to God. Verse 13. Because of the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all. This is very similar to their prayers of thanksgiving. The Jerusalem church will bring glory to God. There will be a worship service and celebration of thanks to God. Well, another one of these members, this bundle of produce, is in verse 14. And that is prayers on behalf of the givers. Look at verse 14. While they also, by prayer on your behalf. Isn't it a blessing to have saints praying for you? And I experienced that this morning. It is truly a blessing. But imagine saints praying for you who live hundreds of miles away and whom you've never met as a response to your generosity to them. Well, Paul continues on. He mentions another piece of this harvest, and that is unity within the body. When he says, they will yearn for you, in verse 14. Remember, if you remember the book of Acts, in the book of Acts, that not too many years before Paul's current journey, his third missionary journey, Peter and Paul and others who had shared the gospel with the Gentiles were called onto the carpet, if you will, by the saints in Jerusalem to explain their ministry. Why are you sharing the gospel with Gentiles? But now, Paul anticipates that some of those same saints will respond to this monetary gift by having a longing affection for their Gentile brethren. And then the last bundle of our harvest, they will glorify God, they will pray on your behalf because of the surpassing grace of God in you. There's grace again. Pastor Milton and I were talking through this point and we wondered aloud about the power that an outpouring of grace like this would have to tear down walls within the church and further the gospel. Now, when you're studying, a lot of times you have different thoughts that don't necessarily make it into the sermon, but you're just kind of interacting with the text and applying it. I want to share this one with you. We wondered if such a gift would be akin to an all-black church in the 60s taking up a collection and sending a monetary gift to an all-white church whose building had burned down. 
That would have been crazy, right? Imagine the potential that such an act would have to bring reconciliation and unity and how it would have impacted the white Christians who received such a kindness. And this works in reverse as well. Imagine the impact such an act could have on the broader community as they witnessed people from groups who had historically been at odds, even hating one another, coming together in longing affection for one another because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think this gives us a taste of the kind of impact Paul was wanting this, this financial gift to have in the world of his day. Folks, only the gospel has this kind of power to generate this kind of generosity. As Paul wrote in Ephesians 2, for he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. Here's the power of generosity, the power to produce a variety of fruits to the glory of God. Truth number five is that God will produce a harvest through your generosity. And there is one final truth which Paul shares. Number six, God has given to us his indescribable gift. God has given to us his indescribable gift. Verse 15. Paul writes, Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Paul ends his encouragements with an exclamation of thanks and praise to God, which is loaded with meaning. It's easy to imagine or to think that after Paul has been unpacking these truths and these promises, these encouraging truths and promises to the Corinthians, that his heart is just full and he just erupts in praise. He uses a very rarely used word to try to capture the fact that the gift of God is beyond the ability to describe using words. It's hard to know exactly what or who Paul is referring to, given how abruptly the exclamation shows up in the flow of the text. Perhaps he is thinking of some of the truths that he has just unpacked. The grace of God, the willingness of God, the generosity of God, the promises of God, or the harvest that will be generated through the Corinthians' generosity. I think it's safe to say that Paul has all of these things in mind. And I find it interesting that every time Paul uses this gift, this word for gift, grace is in the near context. Gift, grace, grace, gift. However, most commentators suggest that who Paul has in mind is the greatest gift of grace that God has given to mankind, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, a Savior who came into this world 
to die on the cross for our sins so that we might have salvation through him. I'm reminded of what Jesus said to Nicodemus in John 3. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. By ending on this note, Paul also comes back to the very note he touched on back in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, where he says to the Corinthians, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Paul is saying, Corinthian saints, as you decide what you will give to this collection, keep in mind the grace you have received and the example of our giving God. Now, let me pause here for a moment. Some of you may be realizing that you are on the outside of this amazing grace and these awesome promises. That is because you don't know Jesus Christ. You have not accepted the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. If the Spirit is calling you right now to believe in Jesus, I encourage you to call upon Him right now, right where you're seated. If you have any questions about the gospel, about salvation, I encourage you to talk with me or any one of our pastors or elders or to stop by the Welcome and Connections table after the service and we will try to answer your questions. So in conclusion, we've seen in these verses six truths intended to inspire the Corinthians to give generously to meet the needs of others. Number one, giving is sowing, and we reap what we sow. Number two, God loves a cheerful giver. Number three, God is able to make all grace abound so that we might abound in giving. Number four, God will give us grace for, to abound in giving. Number five, God will produce a harvest through our generosity. Number six, God has given to us his indescribable gift. The Apostle Paul has taught us in this passage that giving to meet the needs of others should be purposeful, cheerful, and generous based upon our ability. By the way, you might want to know how did this turn out? How did Paul's effort to encourage the Corinthians to give turn out? Well, by God's grace, the story ends very well. Paul mentions this ministry to the saints in Rome as he writes in Romans chapter 15. He says, but now I am going to Jerusalem serving the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia, Corinth is in Achaia, Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Yes, they were pleased to do so, and they are indebted to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things, they are indebted to minister to them also in material things. Well, let's talk about a few applications before I pray. 
Who are the poor? Webster's defines poor as lacking material possessions or characterized by poverty, and people in these circumstances are often obvious. But those with material needs may be all around us. For our purposes this morning, let's define poor as anyone who has a need which they cannot meet with their own resources at any given point in time. This could be a homeless person or a person who has just lost a job or someone who's going through a medical crisis with bills they can't pay. Under God's sovereignty, circumstances change and folks' resources are impacted. They are the ones whose needs we want to meet generously. Well, one of the ways that we meet needs here in our congregation is through our CFBC Agape Fund. Great Sunday to be preaching a message on giving to meet the poor, right? Just want to let you know that as a congregation, we have helped meet a variety of needs to the tune of $70,000 in the past year. I just want to encourage all of us to be purposeful about giving to this fund. Pastor Mario will be talking about that and mentioning it more during our closing announcements. Another way that we meet needs is through care groups. Our, our care groups members give in a variety of ways to help others within the group. Help often comes in the form of a meal and sometimes through a financial gift. I know in our own group, we've found that it's a blessing to both be a giver and a receiver. It helps to strengthen the bonds of relationships within the group. And by the way, if you're not part of a care group, you can see Pastor Carlos, who is standing by the Welcome Connections table this morning. Well, there's also this thing called a family or personal agape fund. And I'd also encourage you to consider following the example of a number of the families in our church who have such a fund. They set aside monies above their regular giving to meet needs when they encounter them personally. It can be a challenge to decide at what level a need should be met. Should I meet it personally? Should I share it with my care group? Should I notify the Agape team? Well, I just want to say this morning that I'm confident by prayer and by consultation or counsel, we'll all be able to determine at what level a need should be met. If you would like to uh, make a need known, you can, know, you can see on the back of your bulletin the members of our CFPC Agape team, and you can contact them or just call the church office. Also wanna make some application to a, some of the principles as far as our other giving. Giving besides giving to meet the needs of others. This text in 2 Corinthians is the longest treatment on the topic of giving in the New Testament. In other words, this is the most that is said in the entire New Testament on the subject of giving. And I just want to point out the fact that Paul refrains from talking about amounts or percentages. 
what I want us to take away from this morning is that giving is a response to grace. Giving is as one decides in their heart as their heart is seasoned by grace. And also, even though Paul is focused on encouraging generosity with money in this passage, the same principles of generosity can apply to our time, our talents, or our spiritual gifts. One word of counsel regarding your personal stewardship, make your giving decisions your first decisions. Even regarding this offering, Paul has instructed the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 to set aside on the first day of the week. And in Proverbs, we are told to honor the Lord with the first fruits of the harvest. Here's what I'm saying. Don't wait to see what you have left, or don't wait until the next pay period to decide what you will give or you won't give. Don't wait to see until a whole harvest comes in to give or you won't give. I promise you, you will see the Lord's faithfulness to provide time and again when you take him at his word and put him first. Let me close the message with a quote from the book that the elders have read recently entitled, What is the Mission of the Church? by DeYoung and Gilbert. The main lesson to be learned is that God's people are to be generous. The principle for us is this. We must deliberately plan our financial lives so that we have extra leftover to give to those in need. Don't spend all your money on yourself. Think of those who have less than you. In other words, don't be stingy. Don't get every last grape off the vine for yourself. Let others benefit from your harvest. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. And we thank you that in your word, you make amazing promises to us. We thank you, Lord, that through your word and through our experience, we know that you are faithful. I say this, Lord, because I, and I'm sure my brothers and sisters here today, want to grow deeper into the grace of generosity. We want to grow deeper in our experience of you because you are a generous God. And we need to look no further than the cross and the empty tomb to know that that truth is true. Help us, Lord, by your spirit to grow and to grow deeper. Again, I thank you for this opportunity to preach and teach your word this morning. Father, we also ask that because this is the time in our service that we do give of our offerings or give of our harvest to you, I ask that you would bless the offering, that it may be used to accomplish your purposes here and through Cornerstone. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.